Welcome to the Go-To-Market Mindset with Michael Gordon, where we talk about all things related to sales, business development, and personal growth. If it's about high performance, we want to take a deep dive into that. And to do that, we'll be talking with some of the sharpest minds in all the land. But don't get too comfortable because we're going to be getting you out of your comfort zone. The Go-To-Market Mindset is brought to you by Sandler Training in Calabasas and me, Michael Gordon. We work with growth mining companies that know sales is never about price and believe that salespeople have rights. For more information, visit gordon.sandler.com. Welcome to the Go-To-Market Mindset. This week, we're here with Chris Beal, CEO of Connect and Sell. Chris, welcome to the show. Michael, it is fantastic to be here. Great. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about this. And disclaimer for everybody out there, I am a Connect and Sell user. We're not going to make this time an ad, but I think there's some great stuff from a functionality perspective that we can talk about. And more important, I really want to talk about cold calling. It's something that's near and dear to my heart. So hopefully you're okay with that. I love it. All right. So Chris, for the people out there who might be listening who don't know what Connect and Sell is, could you give them a quick high level view of what Connect and Sell is and what it does? Sure. I mean, there's a chronic problem out there. It's really hard to get busy people on the phone and decision makers are busy people because they let a lot of calls go to voicemail. About 21 out of 22 calls end up in voicemail. So Connect and Sell is a way for a rep to push a button and talk to somebody on their list that they want to talk with in about five minutes instead of spending an hour dialing and navigating phone systems. Beautiful. And again, as as a user, I'm a big proponent and I, I won't go any further than saying it works. So the thing I keep seeing here and there, and I saw that you recently did a talk about it, is cold calling dead. And obviously, it's not you're building an empire on top of the fact that it isn't. But just for the fact that that statement exists means that there's people out there that are debating on the side of cold calling is dead. Talk to me about that a little bit. Why do people, in your opinion, why do people think or say that cold calling is dead? I think two reasons. One is that Cold calling has gotten harder with regard to the ratio between a cold call and a cold conversation. And so it feels uh, more difficult. It's as though somebody built some great freeways at one point and then they get clogged up with cars and it's like, well, the, you know, the freeway is dead because we can't get anywhere because there's so damn many cars on it, right? So that's part of it. It's just, it's gotten frustrating to get somebody into a conversation. And so you know, if you don't make the distinction between cold calling and cold conversations, which are two different things, then it, it sounds really challenging. It's like dialing to nowhere over and over and over. What fun is that, right? The second part is it's always been a game. Sales has always been a game that has an opening move. It's like chess. There's always an opening move, right? You, you don't start out uh, a, a chess game without two people sitting at the board. How do you get the other person to the board? <laughs> and what's your opening move going to be? And it feels like there's other ways of getting the other person to the board nowadays. You can send them an email, you can LinkedIn invite them, you can do whatever. You can't go to a conference anymore. That used to be kind of fun, but maybe <laughs> you know, that'll, that'll come back. That'll come back big time. But um, it's, it's a different conversation from every other conversation in sales. It's like the serve in tennis. You could become a pretty good tennis player hitting a ball against a wall you could actually learn how to return the ball and do a you know, run around, get your feet in position. But the serve can baffle you for the, your entire tennis career. And yet you can't ever win a point on your side unless you can learn to toss that ball up and, and hit it. It's a different stroke. It doesn't look like anything else. 
And so in sales, we have this funny conversation, the, the first conversation, the first unscheduled one. And most people don't even know what principles to apply. So it's awkward. It feels funny. Well, it should. I mean, you're ambushing somebody. I don't feel <laughs> funny, right? And if, if that felt normal, there's something seriously wrong with you. So, you know, you have two things. You have something that's uh, frustrating just to get a chance to get a shot. And then when you have that shot, it's awkward and challenging to do it well. And so it's tempting to go to something that doesn't require that you have that conversation. Why not just send an email, see what happens? That makes all the sense in the world. And one of the big things, at least that I found personally, is over the last year and a half during the, the pandemic time is, you know, everybody was complaining, oh, there's, I mean, of course, you had your businesses that had a huge uplift. Coincidentally, you had your companies that took a big hit. And, you know, there's a few that really weren't able to do anything about it, like cruise lines and things like that. But kind of the overarching thing I heard from a lot of people was just that they, they said cold calling doesn't work, but, you know, either they, and they said nobody answers the phone, but they, they just weren't willing to put in the time and effort to do it. And whether or not you have technology to enable that, I want to say it's an excuse that people just aren't willing to put in the time and effort to actually do something that's difficult, especially when a lot of other resources, like you mentioned, trade shows aren't available to them. I mean, would you agree with that statement as well? Yeah, I mean, sales is like golf, right? The most important thing you do is make up an excuse for how you're going to suck. <laughs> that's, a, that's like, you know, the, the, the other club, the 15th club in the bag is my excuses. And um, we make them up in sales all the time because we live in an uncertain world. So you had mentioned that, you know, it must be interesting being in a house where both my fiance and I are involved in sales because there's a lot of ups and downs. And what's that like for two people? You know, like I'm having a great deal and she's having a sucky deal. You know, so it's like there's a lot that goes on in sales and sales is kind of fundamentally, I'll call it a more complex kind of job with more externalities that that jump on you. Right. So here we had a big externality, a pandemic, big one, drove everybody indoors. Interestingly enough, the data says that it got slightly easier to get a hold of people and significantly easier to hold a conversation with them because a lot of people were kind of lonely, frankly, and they didn't want to be in a Zoom. So it's like, hey, I get to talk to a human being. This is kind of fun. So, it, but for the person who wants to make the call or have that conversation, how much work do they have to put in is the big question. So I actually empathize with and even sympathize with folks who say, I'm not going to dial the phone 21 times for an hour to talk to one person who might then just say, hey, I'm busy. Because like, 32% of all people you talk to are too busy to talk. They didn't mean it, right? When they answered the phone, <laughs> actually, that wasn't what they were intending to do is talk to you. They were doing something else and, you know, they made a mistake, right? So there they are talking to you. So if it didn't really change, it just gave people another thing to, to hang their desire not to be frustrated and feel awkward and, um, you know, to, to hang that hat on, so to speak, to hang that excuse on. It's kind of like, you know, you know, I'll go back to the golf thing, right? It's like, oh, well, the, you know, the conditions have changed. It's windy. I, I, I don't play well in the wind or whatever. You know, it's like, well, if you're playing competitively and, and business is competitive, this is what's really odd about this, is whatever's true for you is true for everybody else you compete with. So nothing changed relative to everybody else. They all have to deal with exactly the same conditions, just like playing golf in the wind. So the question is, 
Are you any good in the wind? Can you learn to be good in the wind? Because then it's an advantage. So for all businesses that needed to talk to people, the pandemic should have been an advantage because they could actually have more attention, but they might have to be more patient, might have to talk to somebody for a couple of quarters once or twice or three times. And one of our customers is a big German air compressor company. And they were already accidentally prepared for the pandemic because of internet of things, of all things. Believe it or not, IoT started locking salespeople out of factories and security fences went up and guard shacks went up and suddenly you need an appointment to get in a factory to sell something. That happened several years ago. So this particular company became our customer and became experts at something totally unfamiliar, setting appointments for themselves by phone, account executives, field execs, setting appointments for themselves by phone. When, when COVID showed up, the pandemic hit, their industry was hammered and they beat their number. They didn't even replan their number. They didn't let anybody go. They simply used the situation to their advantage and had more conversations. So, you know, it's like, it is, there are a lot of excuses out there. That's why we offer this crazy test drive. Like the, we don't even sell connect and sell. All we do is do this, look, but we don't know. How do we know what your world's going to be like, right? I'm not a, a prognosticator. Let's just spend half a day together for free. We're not going to charge you for this. And you can have a whole ton of conversations. So right now, in fact, one of, one of my accounts, because I, I still sell, is in the middle of a test drive. And when we get off this podcast recording, I'm going to go over and hang out with them on their Zoom listen to some conversations and see how they're doing. Do I really care if they set a bunch of meetings? No, I don't care. What I care about is they experience what it's like to take that Ferrari out on the racetrack. What does it feel like? Is it fun? Is it fast? Could you imagine using this? Maybe, you know, maybe you can't, maybe it's too weird, right? It's, it is pretty, even you've experienced it. It is not a comfortable product. It's like, I took a Ferrari 455 out once. I felt like I was 12 years old learning to drive because that thing was so scary. So it's kind of like that, but then you kind of get into it, you know, and it's sort of fun. So we just do these test drives and that kind of lets the excuses melt away. And then we find out, well, who wants to go dominate? Yeah, that's interesting. And I say that because, well, I guess for two reasons. One is, you know, I'm, you know, I own a Sandler business, but I'm like most people, I'm like everyone else in Sandler. I have to prospect, I have to generate my own appointments, gen, do my own, all, all my own stuff. And I'll, you know, I'll admit, I don't like prospecting. And the, you know, the saying is the only people that like prospecting are people that have never done it in sales managers. But the one thing I love about connect and sell is it kind of takes the call reluctance and the thought out of it because I just go, I turn it on and it, it does all the work. It, it, I literally hit start and it gets people on the phone for me. And I don't need to think about that. Is that, I mean, do you find that that's ever kind of like a compelling reason that clients do it? And I know different size companies are going to have different ways they deploy the technology and how they have their team set up. But do you ever find just as from a, a call reluctance standpoint that that's a game changer for, for clients and prospects? Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, I would say it's the number one effect. Uh, so uh, my fiance, Helen Fanucci, that I referred to before, and she's a she, she carries a big quota at Microsoft and has got some strategic accounts with big names, right? Intel, stuff like that. And she had a little time at one point when she was available to come down to a test track that we did with Google Cloud. 
So Google Cloud's kind of a cool company, right? I mean, it's, yeah. you know, why not go down to Austin, have some barbecue, 26 reps. And do you think they were enthusiastic prospectors? Uh, not exactly, <laughs> right? I'm so, guessing they were probably saying, come on, everybody knows Google. They'll call us when they need something. Exactly, exactly. But Google Cloud is in a highly competitive situation vis-a-vis AWS and Microsoft. So here they are, number three. They're trying to claw their way into number two. It's hard to do. You've got to talk to a lot of people to do it. And they have a brilliant, fairly young team. So it's exactly what you think wouldn't like cold calling, right? They're young. So it's like, you know, supposedly all they will do is text somebody or whatever. So I asked her at the end, I said, so, you know, 26 people, they set 42 meetings in three hours. What did you think? And she said, you know, I don't know anything about that top of the funnel stuff. That's not, you know, I got five accounts, right? But um, she said, you know, what I witnessed is your product effected an instantaneous cultural transformation in that team and did it in half an hour with no consulting. They started having fun. And I think that's the number one impact of Connect and Sell is that you go from, huh, this is scary or annoying or I don't want to do it to, oh, that was weird. You know, the first time you go to push the button, I don't know if you remember it, but that green button, that's not call reluctance. That's just raw quaking fear. Like you're going to talk to somebody, but you do it and now you don't have to do anything. And then you're stuck. It's like, bloop, you're going to talk to somebody. First time, remember Sean Coyle, Sandler, first time, he just looked at the screen and I thought, whoa, the great Sean Coyle is frozen in place. Deer in the headlights turned out. No, this is Sean Coyle we're talking about here. So what he did is just waited because he wanted to see what was going to happen. And the other guy was, hello? Sean <laughs> You can imagine. I mean, Coyle, right? He's like the mask. It's like watching Michelangelo paint the Sistine Chapel. It's really something. But um, that, that fast transition from I don't want to do this to I guess I'm going to do it to I, I can I shake a little and I push the button to I have the first conversation that's like wait a second that wasn't so bad that was kind of fun and then after two or three it's like oh I wait I can imagine doing something else so Cheryl Turner who works for me she runs our flight school division Cheryl hangs out some days in the morning at the park with her three-year-old and she uses Connect and Sell to talk to CEOs while pushing her kid in the swings, playing with her kid. Right? Now, that's work-life balance right there. That's like the real deal. So is it fun for her? She loves it. She looks forward to the cold calling part of the day as the break from all the other sales stuff she has to deal with because she loves to talk and listen and solve problems. And, you know, it's fun to do to build trust and all that. So, you know, I remember... Um, uh, Elena Hess over at Thomson Reuters MyPay, I asked her at, at the middle point of a test drive where I was really busy. I'm hanging out in the conference room. This is back when you went places, right? And I like to kind of stay out of the action and just let, let these things run. And so I, I went out on the floor. This is you know, a real sales floor, right? It's about 20 reps. And I said, so Elena, what are your thoughts? And she said, I have no thoughts. I have tears of joy in my eyes. And then she said something that arrested me, just stopped me cold. I've never, it actually made the hair stand up on the back of my head. She said, Chris, you've turned my silent library into a sales floor. Wow. That, that, that's deep. And I, I say that because having a, you know, prior to starting a sandler business, I had a background in tech and 
I remember the sales floors are silent. You could hear a pin drop because everybody's just emailing. And I think with the pandemic, it's emails are up 400%. People are responding less. So that's, I mean, that's pretty amazing to think about. It's installing almost a culture with software. Yeah. And having, having fun in it. And the funny thing is, it looks like software, right? When you use it, it's actually displacing a whole bunch of labor. Like we have 600 people working for us inside that system who are just doing the work that they love to do because they're trained to do it. And guess what? They don't like to sell. But these are people who love to do something where they're solving a problem. They know how to solve it. They're being paid well for it, which is navigating phone calls. So what we're really doing at Connect and Sell is we're just taking the labor that you shouldn't do. It doesn't make sense for you to do it. You're overpaid to press one for this, press two for that, you know, enter the person's name, all that stuff. You're overpaid for that, wildly overpaid. And the opportunity cost of you spending a minute pushing buttons on a phone instead of talking to somebody is just nutty. So we just displace 95% of the work, which is the work of getting somebody on the phone into our labor pool with one sharp distinction that was not obvious to anybody before 2007 when Connect and Sell was invented, which is, wait a minute, but we don't ever talk to your target. And that's the trick of the whole thing. So it's like, we do the work and it's kind of like taking an Uber, right? Who does the work of figuring out which driver is gonna to come to you? Can you imagine doing that? It's like so easy, you push a button, you wait, the car shows up, you get in the car. Pretty straightforward, right? But imagine if instead of pushing the button, it's like, so here's all these cars and all these drivers. I mean, this one's going, this way, and you had all this data. And then you had to go in and find the right one to bring to you. And that was your job. It might take you an hour to figure out which car they're coming, they're going, they're disappearing. Drive you crazy. But Uber's system, the technology with all those drivers in it, the people, displaces all that work you would do. And all you do is push a button and wait. It's pretty, you know, and you can do something else while you're waiting. So it's the same thing. Connect and sell, you push a button, you wait, and you can do something else while you're waiting. You can send emails, finish contracts, pet the dog, make yourself a cup of coffee. Who really cares, right? As yeah. long as you're ready to talk. Yeah, and well, I'll tell you from a personal perspective, before I had it making, you know, I, I always had a daily goal of 60 dials per day. That would take me, you know, at least, at least five hours. And, you know, I, being a, a salesperson, I'm probably like many other salespeople who are distracted by shiny objects. So I look at a name and a list and I say, oh, let me, let me look them up on LinkedIn. And you're, you're <laughs> down the rabbit hole and 20 minutes later, you're making the call. So, you know, I, I just think it, it, it solves so many problems, both, you know, technically, resource-wise, and even from, as we talked about, the attitudinal standpoint of, call reluctance and not wanting to pick up the phone or not wanting to get started, which for me is always the hardest part. Yeah. I mean, all rational people have call reluctance, but no good salesperson has conversation reluctance and they're very different things. So we just disaggregate it. The call we do, the calls, the 21 and a half calls that it takes to get one conversation, the conversation you have and you get it better and better. The other thing we've learned that's so interesting is that, and this goes together with what Sandler has always taught, and, but it's, it's a subtlety, right? So Sandler kind of came out of the world of selling face-to-face -face and, and then adopted the phone, which was brilliant, right? Because you're basically taking the same techniques and 
refining them into the world of the phone. And Sandler's always kept up with the virtual stuff and everything that's happened, right? One thing we've learned in a go-to-market sense, how it, that's a little bit different, is you can actually get trust in a cold call from somebody. They will trust you in seven seconds if you say the right things in the right way. And at that point, you're done. And this is what's so funny about cold calling in go-to-market. I mean, your program is a go-to-market program, not a let's you know sell one thing at a time program, right? So in go-to-market, our goal is to dominate a market always. If, if we don't have the ability to dominate a big market, we should dominate a small market. We, dominance is a safe position. Everything else is scary because the dominant player can always turn on us. And that's not good. You know, we don't like it, right? That's not, that's not great. That's like finding yourself as the 130-pound guy in, in, a, in the 220-pound in the weight class in wrestling. It, you're screwed when that happens. It's like, oh, but I'm great. You're not that great. That big monster's going to get on top of you and bad things are going to happen, right? Yeah. So you, you got to dominate and uh, you got you to you know, fight in your weight class, so to speak. So that you, and then you got to dominate. So how do you do that? The thought is you do it by selling. And when you sell 50% plus one and they, you know, and you keep getting repeat business, you're dominant in that market. That's kind of the, I'll call it the Jeffrey Moore formula for dominance. What's funny about it is with cold calling, you can dominate a market simply by getting everybody to trust you in the first seven seconds of cold calls across that market. And then you can harvest that trust in later conversations when the timing is right for them to buy from you. So if you think about timing, in B2B, timing is generally three years. That is, every solution has an approximate three-year cycle before somebody's going to look to augment or replace it. That's just, if I just bought something, I'm not looking to buy another one of those ever until, oh, now the move is, the world's moved on. It's three years later, and maybe we should, you know, upgrade or whatever, right? So that's 12 quarters. The unit of consideration time-wise for a new purchase is about one quarter. Nobody thinks about buying something for a year. It kind of comes under the radar and within a quarter, they're going to decide to go no-go somewhere. So that's 12 quarters. That means 11 twelfths of your ideal market that you want to dominate is not in market this quarter. So if you want to dominate that market, you better take care of the 11 twelfths. Just doing the one twelfth leaves the 11 twelfths to the other guy. And so what can you do? Talk to 12 twelfths this quarter, the first quarter, and in the first seven seconds, get them all to trust you, then don't blow it. And then just keep up with them when the timing is right, go buy from you. It's actually a very simple formula for market dominance based on trust, leading with trust rather than leading with value. And the funny thing is cold calls start out, cold conversations start out in a way where you're guaranteed to be able to create trust because you've ambushed the person. And I know that's ironic, but you are in the one-up position. You just ambush them. <laughs> it's yours to lose. What do you do with those seven seconds is the only important question at cold call. And then you go ahead and have you know 20 of them a day because that's you can dominate a big market at 20 conversations a day. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say so. And so Chris, on that note, let me ask you, is there a size of a company that is best suited for what you do or for cold calling or how do you kind of look at this as far as, you know, how this rolls out, how, how companies and teams think about, you know, the AE versus the SDR, where you talk to me about that and share your thoughts on that a little bit. 
Sure. I mean, I think you got to back into the stuff from the business plan itself, from what are you trying to do and, and ask this question. So I'll only do it from a connect and sell enabled perspective, because I literally can no longer think about businesses that are unarmed. <laughs> Fair enough. Then, you know, my first, it's like, well, what's your battle plan? Well, I don't know. We, you know, we got a stick and we're going to figure out how to win with a stick. Well, I'm sorry, but that person over there has got a gun <laughs> and you have an issue and I can't solve your issue with the plan. We got to arm you first. But once you're armed, so say you're armed with connect and sell, you've decided to go down that road and you look at your business plan and you just ask this question, which is what's my average deal size? And therefore, how many deals do I need net new? So I'm going to divide them into net new and, and some sort of renewal or continuation or whatever. So how many net new deals do I need? And whatever that number is, X, right? What's my close rate from discovery meetings to net new deals? Probably about 20%. But whatever it is, I look historically and I do that. So now I know how many discovery meetings I need. So then I can ask myself, well, how many discovery meetings per day can I get? right? Because I got to keep generating them smoothly over time. So I have so many I need per year. How many can I make? The answer turns out to be roughly for a rep using Connect and Sell about one per hour. You talk to eight to 10 people and you set one discovery meeting. So now that's where this AESDR distinction shows up. So say my AEs need two discovery meetings per week, right? That's what they need. If I'm just doing it with my AEs, I count them up, I look at my business plan, I say, yes, I can afford the AEs or I have to have this coverage or whatever crazy things people think about when they're putting together sales plans. And so now the question is, can, can they afford two hours a week to set those discovery meetings? If so, I don't need any SDRs, right? But what if I have long sales cycles with very complex deals? And I think, you know, there might be a four-week period where an AE is so heads down on a couple of big deals, they will literally not be able to find those two hours a week, right? Even if we're blitzing together, no matter how we put it together. Well, then I might want to have the smoother flow of having the supplementary discovery meeting set by an SDR who isn't distracted by deal-making. So that's really why you back into the SDR. You don't do it because AEs don't like to prospect and you want to be nice to them. I'd hate to have them <laughs> do anything hard because that would just be too much, right? You do it because the math says I need a buffer, a flow buffer of a flow of discovery meetings into the business in order to ensure myself against the natural fluctuations that happen, right? Because I can't make, we all know this, we can't make any deal happen. We're really at the mercy of the world, right? right? In sales, we're playing a portfolio. We're, if you're trying to choke one deal to death, it'll turn around and choke you right back. It's going to win. So you've got to have a portfolio and work them correctly, but let the chips fall when they will. It's not where they will, it's when they will. And your portfolio, if you run it right, gives you a smooth business and smooth businesses are worth more than choppy businesses. So you'd rather have a smooth business. So the SDR is a job is like, uh, it's frankly like a float tank, right? It's like, I could have, okay, I'll be crude. I could have a toilet and I could use a hose to flush it every time. But what if I don't have time to walk over to where the hose is and turn it on? Right? So I might want one of them little float tanks in there so there's always a reservoir and I can get the job done and go about my business, right? So that's what 
DSDR does is they're a float tank that's providing the opportunity for a continuous flow of X discovery meetings per day or week or whatever as an insurance policy or whatever against choppiness. That's, you can think of it that way. And then, you know, then the question is, now you have a really serious question was, what do you want in this S, as an SDR? What's their job? Are they researchers? That's nutty. You should centralize the research, right? Because you probably don't have a great talker listener who can set meetings, who's also God's gift to research. So they will be tempted to go do something that they're, that's easier feeling, which is research. They're not as good at it. Research can be done by researchers. Go have somebody make your list of, that's your market. It's your market after all, you're the business owner, not the sales reps market, right? You wanna dominate a market. You don't wanna have your employees tell you what business you're in. So you need to have somebody yourself or somebody else as the owner make that list. Now that list can be given to the SDRs and they can do their thing, right? given to them through the CRM, through connect and sell, go conversation first, whatever. And then, then you have this situation where it's like, okay, what's my flow rate of discovery meetings coming out of my SDRs? Now, I happen to know that using the right techniques, you can get a meeting per hour flow rate out of an SDR. You can do it. You can actually get four. Cheryl Turner, she runs a rate of four per hour. I mean, everybody goes, how can you do this? Well, she has techniques that allow for no-shows because no-shows are a good thing, not a bad thing. And everybody's emotional about, oh, they didn't show up. It's like, yeah, that's good, not bad. You just have to know how to use it, right? So the SDR equation has nothing to do with who wants to do what. It has nothing to do with who you can hire to do what. It has to do with, are your AEs going to be able to allocate that amount of time per week effectively to set those meetings. And do you have the management chops to actually make that happen? That is, can you coach them? Will they play? Or do they just think they're too important? In which case, maybe it does have to do with who wants to do what, but that's kind of dumb. Yeah, I was gonna say that, that seems to be a prevailing thought among AEs and, and among companies and management that, that AEs are you know either too important or too good, or management doesn't wanna have that be part of their job description because either they don't want to do it or they don't think people will come on board if, if that's the case. Yeah. And I think they're looking at it um, from a traditional sense. And I think they're right. I mean, if I get a bunch of AEs and say, dial the phone and they're going, well, I dial for an hour. It's frustrating. It's ridiculous work. And I talk to one person. I'm not a magician. I can't make a person not be busy. Right. So, you know, they feel trapped. And I have some AEs that I'm interacting with on LinkedIn are saying, you know, this activity metrics trap us. Okay, so consider this with your AEs. Here's how we do it. Here's how Hub International does it. Here's how some other folks do it. Is say, let's do something together. You know, team is not like, let's all go our separate ways. Let's do something together other than that forecast call or whatever. And let's just take that hour and do it together for fun as a blitz using tech- this technology that lets us talk to a ton of people and we get online together you know in a zoom and we hold a one-hour blitz or a two-hour blitz and the coach is listening so everybody gets to get better and we put prizes on it in the whole bit and nobody's being held to a dial metric because that's magic the dials happen magically 
The conversation metric is meaningless because those happen mag magically, right? Ah, the conversion metric. Now there's a good one. Any AE worth their salt will be willing to compete with the other AEs to convert conversations to meetings. Get it over with. And generally, in, for an AE, and ours are like this. So we blitz twice a week, two hours at, at a shop. And my AEs are big, beefy AEs. They're not like you know, little wimpy AEs. They carry big quotas and have big backgrounds. And they're the kind of people you want to connect to on LinkedIn and that kind of stuff. But they blitz for two hours Monday and two hours Friday. And they do it during that time because that's kind of the worst prospecting time. Everybody thinks, it, therefore, it's actually the best, which is kind of like, you know, people are not getting called that much on Monday and Friday because everybody thinks they're not going to answer. It's really sort of dumb, but that's how it works. So they have fun for two hours from 10 to noon Pacific. Some of them are on the East Coast, some in the middle, some Pacific. Every Monday and every Friday. Do they think it's fun? You bet. When we interview people, we say, look, here's how we do this here. You get to set your own appointments and we're going to feed you some, but you got to set your own too. And you do it together as a group. It's a team activity and it's really fun. And they go, huh, what's fun about that? It's like you talk to a ton of people. Don't you like to talk to people? You're in sales. <laughs> so it's a, it's a way of doing it. You don't have to have everybody be a lone wolf. There is a way to get team spirit and a team experience using cold calling, oddly enough, but fun cold calling with Connect and Sell as the, the nucleus of that particular uh, idea. And I think teams, frankly, even in an individual sport like sales, where the reps, the AEs are kind of, you know, doing their thing, I still think that team spirit comes through. You know, I've, I've seen it in every sport. I've seen it in bowling. I've seen bowling teams transformed by having one person that they really believed in, even though they weren't the best bowler, right? There's, even though you bowl individually, quite frankly, the, my ball doesn't knock down your pins, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I occasionally, or, you know, try to shoot for once a month. I have, I'll make dials and I'll have my clients listen in and let them make some calls and, I know for me, it's more fun when there's other people around. I know for them, well, I'm, I'm sure they're thinking all these people are judging me, but they get it done. And when we wrap up, they, you know, they say, hey, it, it works. It's nobody died. And it's, you know, <laughs> right. and, and that's, you know, a side fact that nobody's ever died for making a cold call that I like to always say, but uh, I'm with you. I think turning, that's a great point. Turning it into a team sport can be, productive and bring some fun into something that's normally not fun. And, and Chris, I know we're, we're coming to the end of our time here. So I'm going to ask you, like I do at the end of most episodes, can you wrap this up by maybe challenging a thought that most people have or that some people have about cold calling and challenge them as to why they may want to think differently or consider something that they haven't thought about or considered either ever or in a long time? Yeah, I mean, what I would challenge is this. Um, folks think of cold calling as uh, something where you're annoying somebody, you know, and that that's bad. It's not. It's something where you're scaring somebody. And oddly enough, that's good because it gives you an opportunity to relieve that fear in a few seconds. And that person will trust you for the rest of their life. So the idea that you can manufacture trust at pace and scale with cold calling, most people don't think that's even possible. But if you learn how to do it, it is the essence of reliable market dominance. Beautiful. Yeah, that's poetic. Chris, that, that is poetic. So glad we got to get together today. Chris, 
you want to tell the people how they can get in touch with you and connect and sell if they're interested in taking a test drive or finding out more about the product? Uh, sure. Test drive is the coolest thing in the world. Um, so we have this little website called connectandsell.com. I have a podcast I highly recommend that people uh, who, who want to listen to really interesting people. Okay, so the first like 55 episodes are just me and Corey talking, Corey Frank. But then we started having guests and there's some really good ones out there. Um, so it's called marketdominanceguys.com. Marketdominance guys, all one word, like the car guys. And it's, uh, it's subject matter that is just not touched by anybody else. It's very unusual stuff. And then uh, I'm big on LinkedIn. You know, I'm out there. I've been doing LinkedIn since 2002. So I'm easy to find. I'm Chris Beal. I'm the CEO of Connect and Sell. And, you know, send me a LinkedIn invitation and, and we can have a relationship. All right. Well, Chris, thank you again. Glad we got a chance to connect. I've been looking forward to this one for some time now. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Mike. Thanks for listening. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. To find out more about how we work with companies to help them grow sales more profitably and predictably, please check out gordon.sandler.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.